Good morning once more. Great to be here and it's lovely to be with you. We're going to jump into God's word. But you know, that song says, to worship you, I live. Why do we live? Why are we here? What is life all about? I remember the age of about 18 or so. Give my life to Christ, dedicating my life to him. And it's never too late to give your life to Christ. And I don't mean warming a bottom on the church seats or the pews. I mean giving our lives totally and completely to Christ. Whether you're 2, 5, 14, 16, 18, 21, 58, whatever your age is, you're never too late. it's never too early to give your life to Jesus and to follow him with a passion. You know, I, I'm, I'm trusting God that in this place today, his spirit will be cut loose in our lives and in our hearts. That there'll be a change that takes place. There'll be a transformation that takes place because of Jesus. That we're not doing the same old, same old, tick the box, I've come to church on Sunday. Yes, I must come because I might get the phone call from Pastor Nicholas or Pastor Mecca or from Nena. Where are you? Why were you not here? Why were you late? But we come because of Jesus. We come because there's an urgency in our hearts, in our spirits, that we know we need to be in the house of God. We know that we need to be here to be fueled up for the week ahead. We know that we need to be here to touch base with the saints because there's a world out there that's crying out for a change and we are the change and we are the solution. That we carry Christ, we carry the Holy Spirit wherever we go. And we have that realization deep within us because we've met with Jesus. We've had that Damascus Road experience where we've met with Jesus and we know that we are called into the society, into this world for such a time as this to bring about change. So why are you here today? Not just why are you in this place, but why are you on earth today? What is your purpose? What is your call? What is your mandate? What is your assignment? Whether you're in uni, college, school, the boardroom, the classroom, Wherever you are, the marketplace, wherever you are today, why are you here today? Why has God decided that in this age, in this season, you have been born? Why? Not in the Victorian era, not in the era of the Baffin War, but you're here today for a reason. Why? What is your assignment? What is your purpose? What has God called you to do? Who are the people that God has called you to, to be amongst, to bring about a change? You know, the reality of life is we don't have the assurance of tomorrow, but we have today. And we have that relationship with the Lord. And what is he saying to each and every one of us? Because we can zone out and say, okay, yeah, tomorrow, next week. Maybe, if, but. But the reality is God is speaking to us. We are his chosen vessels. He's called us, handpicked us for such a time as this. Why are you here today? You know, when you walk, we're not walking on sand so you don't see your footprints. But every single day as we walk, we're making a mark on this earth. What mark are you making? And if this is not judgment or condemnation. This is to stir us all, including me, to good works. To follow after Christ with a passion. Because being a Christian isn't boring. Isn't just something you pick up and you inherit and say, okay, my parents did it, so I'll do it as well. I come home to church. No. It's a life-transforming, impactful change that happens in our lives when each and every one of us makes a decision to follow after Christ. 
Just like when they're running a race and then they hand over the baton and, you know, some of you might be watching the, the, the ladies and the lionesses playing football and when they kick that ball and they pass it, there's an expectation that you either dribble, pass to somebody else or you score the goal. I'm no, no expert, as you can see. But what are you doing with the mandate? What are you doing with the baton that's been handed to you? What are you doing with the ball that's been kicked to you, whether you're 2, 10, 5, 16, 14, 18, 21, or 58? What are you doing here today with regard to the mandate, the call, the assignment of God upon your life? Just to give you a bit of an insight, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, one of those naughty girls as such. You know, I was kind of like a good person as such before I got saved, but the bottom line is I did not know Christ. So I was destined, bound for hell. I did not know Christ. But I knew there was something missing inside me. There was something missing. Things just were not adding together. Something was missing on the inside of me. And that was Christ. And when I made the connection by his, God, by his grace, he saved me. That was it for me. And it's not been smooth sailing. It's not been perfect. I've not been perfect. I've made mistakes. But I knew that something had changed on the inside when I made that connection with Christ. Unfortunately, where I was, I was in Sierra Leone, so I could sit in a taxi with strangers with four other people I didn't know and share the gospel with them. We have the opportunity. You know, we're not in a persecuted nation as such, as yet, that we can't share the gospel. But we need to be on fire ourselves. We need to be radical. We need to be vibrant. We need to have that connection with Christ so that we can make a difference. Whether it's out on the football pitch, whether it's out playing basketball, wherever Christ has sent us, whether we're spinning, the, I don't know if they spin tracks, I'm not sure, I'm not so in touch, but whether we're making music somewhere, you know, <laughs> wherever God has planted us, it's to make a difference. He's called us for such a time as this. We're not called to be 007, keep my, my salvation to myself, under my coat and look all nice on Sunday. We're called to be conduits, servants. We're called to be out there sharing the gospel. I remember when I got saved, I thought, am I going to tell my friends? I was so embarrassed. Am I going to tell my friends? I mean, I loved what I had, but how am I going to tell my friends? And I remember I, I mustered up enough courage and I spoke to one of my friends. And what did she say to me? She's like, but why didn't you tell me all this time? We have the truth. The Bible says in earthen vessels, there's a society out there that's dying in so many different ways. They may be smiling. They may have the, the nice hairstyles and the amazing lipstick and the clothes that are, half the bodies are out and exposed. But they're still desperate for Christ. There are people there crying out and they're be rapping and doing all this and doing all that. I don't know how to do it. But they, they need Christ. You know, and I love seeing you young people. I love seeing you because there's, there's so much opportunity out there. You know, in my day, they might say, oh, you might be a bit of a dry head. I don't know what you guys say these days. But boring, you know, if you talk about Christ, you talk about Jesus, but you don't know who you're speaking to. You don't know the challenge. You don't know the need that person has. You don't know that when you see them at college, you see them at school, or you see them out there and they're getting their nails done, you don't know the need on the inside that they're masking because they're not, they can't say it. They can't share with their friends the difficulty. They can't share with their friends the challenge. But you have the truth. You have Christ. You have the truth that sets you free. And Christ has saved you not to incubate you till you're, you're, you're 50 and then you can start talking about your faith. But here and now, to go out and share the gospel. To be salt and light. To be a deliverer to your generation. Just as you are. I'll throw in another bit as well. 
before I got saved, before I went to Ceylon, I was in Scotland. And in my school, there were two other black kids, my two brothers. So there were the three of us. And I grew up not knowing any other black people until I went to Ceylon at about 11 or so. And one of the things, so you can imagine, only black girl in the school, didn't know any other black kids, nose flat like this, hair like this, no extensions, hair like this, wasn't silky soft and wavy, no pointed nose. So for me, there was an adjustment. I stood out. I'd walk the street with my family and people were like, mm -hmm. so I got used to responding to people who stare. You know, I, was, I stood out, oddball totally. But when I met Christ, things changed. You may feel like you're an oddball wherever you are, but there's a purpose and there's a destiny. And for me, when I got saved, I embraced who I was. I embraced the flat nose. I, <laughs> I, I embraced my quirkiness. I embraced everything because I knew that God made me not this height, this height, just as I am for a purpose, for a reason. And you might be sitting there resenting yourself, thinking, why have I got these big feet? Why have I got this big nose? Why are my ears so mess massive? Let me tell you, it's for a purpose. It's for, believe it or not, it's for a purpose. Because there are people out there that need you to speak into their lives. There are people out there that need you to relate to their situation. There are people out there that need to know the truth. It's so interesting, coming back into the UK, it's like watching a movie in front of your eyes. You go into shops and you do a double take, you, you drive past people at the bus stop, you do a double take, you think, is that a man or is that a woman? Because you have to look twice these days. You have to look twice. And you have to be careful with the pronouns, he, she, he, they, But we were called for such a time as this. Young people, you are called for such a time as this. And you're different from us, and that's wonderful, and that's beautiful. We celebrate it because you are needed like a key to lock the padlock in your generation and see salvation come in and see some of your friends coming to the kingdom. Not that we, you young people, conform, change, adapt, like a worm with no backbone to society, but no, we go in, we step in, and we bring about the change because we're radical for Christ. We're different. We look cool, we look nice, we know how to talk the talk and do whatever, and dress however, but there's a difference. We have Christ, and that's the difference. Let's jump into the scripture. We're looking at the book of Daniel, and I'd like to look at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to do a lot of reading this morning, so let's go for it. Daniel chapter 3, and we are looking at the end of that chapter, and I'd like to read from verse 19. So walk with me here. I'd like you to picture the story. I'd like you to picture what's taking place. Daniel chapter 3, and we are reading from verse 19. So just visualize it in your mind's eye. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, and I'm going to stop there. I like the fact that in verses 19 to 23, repeatedly the names as mentioned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This story, which I'm sure most of us are familiar with, is the story whereby these three boys were thrown into the fiery furnace. It says in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Prior to that verse, we hear that the king has issued a command. The response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was totally adverse to the king's command. And in verse 19, that's where they find themselves now in this situation. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The fourth man. Verse 25 says, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The fourth man. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I know the scripture says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I'd like you to put your name there and picture the Lord calling you. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw those men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies and that, and that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach 
and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and the houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now the verses I've just recounted spoke of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It also speaks of the fourth man, a fourth person in the midst of the furnace. It speaks of the fact that the king, with his very own eyes, saw this fourth man and decided to call out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because what was taking place was totally abnormal. In life, challenges happen. You can quite clearly see that these three were in the midst of a challenge, a fiery furnace. Here and now, today, in life, we can face our own personal fiery furnaces. We can face our own challenges, whatever they may be. Family, finance, relationships, work, whatever it is. We can face and go through fiery furnaces, whether we're at uni, whether we make the decision, do I, do I not? Do I go with this guy? Do I not go with this girl? What do I do? Challenges all the time. We can feel like life is against us because of the fiery furnaces that we feel like we're in. Challenges, pressures of life. Situations that we sit on and we can't even bear to share with the people next to us because they'll be like, what? And we keep them to ourselves because of the intensity of the fiery furnace that we are in. This scripture highlights the fact that in the fiery furnace, a fourth man appeared. I'm sure you would all agree with me that when we face the fiery furnaces of life, we need that fourth man. We need somebody who's going to come in and intervene in our situation. Who's going to speak life, who's going to speak hope, who's going to speak direction, clarity, give us answers and give us a way out. We need that fourth man in our situation and circumstance. The things that trouble our hearts, that perplex us, that keep us awake at night, we need the fourth man to come in. As a young person in university, to do or not to do, to say or not to say, to go or not to go, we need that fourth man to come in and say, this is what you need to do. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We need God's presence in our lives. We need God's intervention. Very often we need a miracle to break that situation, to turn it around, to give us the answers and the clarity that in ourselves we do not have and the people around us cannot give to us. We need the fourth man. Quite clearly we can see from that scripture, the fourth man turned up. He appeared. He intervened. Christ was present in that situation to turn around what was taking place. And I find it so astonishing that when they came out, not even the smell of the fire was upon them. That's what the fourth man does in our situation, in our circumstance, that we come out unscathed. Yes. We need that fourth man yes. in our situation. And God is so good. The God we serve is a merciful God, a God of grace. Because sometimes we've been some places that people don't know about. We said some things. We've been part of certain conversations we shouldn't have been part of. 
But God in his grace and his mercy intervenes. We've done things that we know. And people advise and they say, don't do it. And we still did it. And we partook of certain things we shouldn't partake. But God in his mercy, the fourth man comes into the situation. For our children, our legacy, we need the fourth man. We need God to turn around certain situations that we face in life. Challenges. We need that fourth man to speak clarity. Things that we can't even talk about. And we keep it under wraps. But the fourth man can come in. And the reason I talk about God's grace and mercy, because we don't even earn it. We don't earn it at all. We don't earn God's intervention. We do not. I'd like to take us to the start of that scripture. Let's jump back. We're looking at Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the princes to come to the dedication of this image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so all the people came along. And even as I read that scripture, it reminds me of the system of today. The system here and now. The system whereby idols have been set up in society. King Nebuchadnezzar arranged, colluded, conspired for this statue, for this image to be made. And why? So that people would bow down and worship him. Brothers and sisters, we live in an age, whether we want to agree or disagree, young people, we live in an age whereby the way how society is being fashioned is that idols have been set up. Whether it's the idol of fashion, idol of money, promiscuity, sex, drugs, whatever you want to call it. And legitimate things as well, the pursuit of success. Idols have been set up in society, prominence. Oh, I have to do it, I must do it. It's the only way forward. It's for my family, I have to do it. Idols have been set up in society. Oh, we must be politically correct. LGBTQI. We must be politically correct. We must embrace everybody. Verse 7. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony, all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Brothers and sisters, today, what are we bowing down to? When the music plays, what do we find ourselves bowing down to today? What do we find ourselves buckling the knee to in society today? What are the idols that are speaking out to us? Because very often, unfortunately, sometimes we're building the progress and success of our families, but the spiritual life is waning and it's wanting. What are we building? What are the building blocks that we're putting in society today, in our families, in our homes, in our hearts today? 
when we're in the boardroom, when we're in the classroom, when things and policies are being passed, when conversations are taking place, what exactly are we saying? And how are we standing? Because the reality is Jesus has already come and he's gone. The Holy Spirit has been left with us to continue the work. And not all of us will be standing here. Not all of us will be going to Ghana, Nigeria, Timbuktu. But wherever God has planted us, university, college, school, marketplace, office, behind that computer, wherever God has planted us, at the school gates, wherever we are, what are we saying? What are we standing for? You know, what I find fascinating about this scripture is that the fourth man came into their situation. He turned everything around. He brought the deliverance that was needed for these boys. But not only that, there was a testimony upon the lips of King Nebuchadnezzar. But when you flip back to verse 1, it talks about the track record of these young men. It talks about the fact that they stood for righteousness. It talks about the fact that they stood for the Lord. I love the fact that it says, just bear with me a second, verse... 19, verse, give me a second, I don't know what to move Verse 8. Certain people, it says certain Chaldeans, they spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, they went to him with all sorts of pleasantries. Oh, King, live forever. You're so amazing. You're so wonderful. And they got onto his good side. And then they said that actually there are these three Jews who you set over the province, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but they've not paid you due regard. They do not serve your gods or worship the God image which you have set up. And in the natural, that looks like a negative thing. But these young boys were making a stand for Christ. What is our stand for Christ like today? Or are we just going with the flow, the contemporary flow? Because that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do to progress in life, to progress at school, to progress at work, to progress at uni. Just keep your mouth quiet, just put your head down and keep working. Keep typing, don't say anything, just, just, just keep just doing that. Sit there when they have the meetings, just nod your head, smile nicely and politely, don't say anything and just keep going on. I believe that if these three hadn't taken a stance for Christ, we wouldn't be hearing this story now. We wouldn't know about the fourth man who intervened in their situation. Be quiet, shut your mouth, and don't say We are the role models to our family, to our friends, in our society. For many of us, there's a legacy that we've inherited. So what are we doing with it? We have to now charter our own way forward. Because if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. 
You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he heard of these young boys, he said, nah, it's not possible. I've set a decree. I've set a law. It's not possible. Bring them to me. Let me see them because it's not possible. It's not possible that they could deviate from the standard of society about the principles that have been put in place now. Do we fall? Do we cower? Do we back away in timidity when it comes to the principles, the policies, the standards that have been put up in society now? Or do we live according to this book or phone, as the case may be? Do we live according to the word of God? Or is this subtle sense of compromise that's crept into our lives? Because we are raising a generation. Parents, we are raising a generation. And we can't afford to just smile, at, smile to them and, and nod our heads at our young ones. When we see them going off track, when we see them deviating. Because their souls are perishing, their lives are at stake. The legacy is at stake. So what are we doing? For I was called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I love these boys. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer in this matter. May the Lord give us boldness so that we are not careful to answer. We are not careful. We don't sit or stand along the line of compromise when it comes to the things of God. That we are bold and courageous to give the word undiluted, to stand without compromise. Because there are people out there that need the word without compromise. They need us as Christians, totally devoted, with a heart and life spilt out, poured out to the Lord, uncompromising when it comes to the word of God that will speak and declare, thus saith the Lord in this situation. The world is crying out for that. The world is crying out for us. The scripture said, I can't remember what the scripture said, that creation is groaning, crying out for us to make a stand. Not crying out for us to wave our handkerchiefs in church and dance around. Not crying out for us just to be jumping up and down and clapping our hands, but for us to be filled, empowered, sent out to make a difference in the nations the nations of your school, your home, your street, your community, wherever you are. We can't any longer sit on the fence and just smile politely and nod our heads at what we see going on past us. We need to make a stand. 2, 5, 10, 18, 16, 45, 59, however old you are. I see the little, one, the little ones, not so little anymore. The younger ones like sneaking glances at me. Wherever you are, God has put you there for a reason. Just like my friend turned and looked at me and said, why didn't you tell me all this time? I was shocked, I was surprised, because I thought she didn't want to know. And you'd be amazed about how many people need to know. How many people are struggling, damaged lives, broken homes, abuse, all sorts of things are going on behind closed doors. And young people, you are the key to locking some of these lives. And you might be thinking, me? How? I'm only young. I don't have the words to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go about it. I've got my own struggles. But then the Lord calls us. He calls us to come. Come unto me. And God, God, the Lord wants to do something in our lives, in your lives, so then he can fill you up, patch you up where you need to be patched up, and then send you out. Because you're the best oracle to your generation. You're the best mouthpiece. You're the person who have the respect that we won't have because we'd be look at, looked at as fuddy-duddy people. But you'll be relevant 
because you understand, they'll understand you and your word that you speak will be truth and life into their situations. It's time to arise. It's time to respond to the spirit of the Lord. You know, the world is getting harder, it's getting more difficult, it's getting more challenging. All sorts of things are being released. But you are called for such a time as this. The Josiahs, the Esthers, the Davids, to rise, the Josephs need to rise, need to respond, need to step into that which the Lord has said concerning your lives. You may not feel like it, you may think, I'm, 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 how? But it's not about us, it's about him. What do they say? Verse 17. We're not careful to answer in this matter. May we not be careful to answer. May we not play with the things of God. May we treat holy what is holy. May we honor the Lord in the way that we should. We're not careful. We're not going to play around with things. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to say gray when it's black or it's white. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to be salt and light to our generation. We're going to stand for Christ. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Verse 18. But if not, there was a sense of being sold out, devoted and committed. May we be sold out. May we be radical. And this is not about being the exception. This is about being the norm. This is about normal, healthy Christianity. It's not about being this Christian superstar anywhere. It's not about being the youth oddball. It's about serving the Lord totally with all our hearts. Because we're either in or we're out. That's the reality. We're not just following God under, under our parents or our grandparents or our sisters or our cousins or our mentors' cocktails. Cult, cult, it's our own one-to-one -one connection relationship with the Lord. That is what is going to cut it in society today. Not some looped down, watered down, second-hand whatever, <laughs> that we have. But it's the truth, the truth that sets people free. And I believe the Lord wants to bring freedom and deliverance to us, freedom and de deliverance to our young people. You know, the, the, the picture that comes to mind is like an egg. And in, an, in, in the egg, you've got the chick. And that chick needs to come out. That, that egg, that shell needs to be cracked open so that the chick can come out. And what does the chick do? After the chick comes out, it feeds. But after, after some time, it begins to fly. It begins to soar. And it begins to make impact. And I really feel it strong, especially young people here today. The Lord wants you to soar. The Lord wants you to make an impact. The Lord wants you to bring about change in your generation. The Lord also wants to minister to you and bring healing and peace and hope and encouragement and direction in your lives and bring transformation in your lives also so that you're radical and you make a difference for him wherever you go so that you know the truth that sets you free so that Christianity in church is not a boring tradition. It's not a thing that we do on Sunday because we have to. You come eager, running to the house of God because you know you're getting filled up because there's a work ahead for you to do. And not a boring work. It's in your generation, in your lifetime, amongst your community, making a change, bringing about a revival for Christ. So will you respond to the call? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Repeatedly the names were mentioned throughout this scripture. Repeatedly the names were said. And so too, your name is being said. Where do you sit? On the fence? Where do you sit? 
Your name as an individual is being called because the Lord sees each and every one of us individually. The word goes out like a blanket, but it speaks to us, each and every one of us, individually. What will we take from it and how we run with it? King Nebuchadnezzar witnessed with his very own eyes the deliverance of these boys. They were not willing to compromise. The only accusation that they had, the Chaldeans had against these boys was what? That they're out living a riotous life, that they're out murdering, stealing, committing crimes. The only accusation the Chaldeans had against these boys was the fact that they refused to bow the knee to the society of that day. The only accusation, the only problem, quote-unquote problem, the only thing that, quote-unquote, was wrong with those boys was the fact that they refused to bow their knee to what was sinful, bow their knee to idols. That was the only accusation. And if that is the only accusation against their lives, then truly, I'm not surprised, the fourth man turned up. This isn't a message of condemnation. It's a message of love, hope and encouragement. That's me. It's a message for us to sit up and stand up and respond. We need the fourth man in our situations. We need the fourth man in our, in our challenges. We need the fourth man in our fiery trials. But we also need to, need to make a decision to be sold out to the Lord. To empty ourselves of ourselves and ask the Lord to fill us with him to fill us to overflowing that we will make a stand for him you know the, the picture that comes to my mind is you know in, in the shop you'll see like the mannequins a mannequin looks like a human being kind of yeah but they don't feel they don't think they don't move they don't talk we're not called to be christian mannequins we're called to be servants of the living god bond slaves sold out emptied of ourselves, totally devoted, 100% committed, given over to things of God. Not, I did not say perfect. Living the Christian life, running the race by God's grace, falling down and getting up. Falling down but running again. Not giving up. Giving ourselves totally and completely to the Lord. A life wholly devoted to him. May we run the race with endurance fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'll end with this scripture, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. May you know the peace of the Lord in your situation, in your circumstance, in your storm, in your challenge, in your fiery trial. May you know God's peace wherever you are, wherever you're positioned. And may you also know a life that is totally devoted, given over to him. A life where he fills you and uses you to his glory to bring about his kingdom. God bless you.